What a weekend we've just had. This is the NTT20 podcast, sponsored by Betfair. This is a Tuesday pod, and there's no floaty intro this week. This is not the time for poetry. This is the time for permutations. It's time for winners and losers of the EFL Easter weekend. A double docket, 72 games completed. We're going to pick the bones out of it. Hello, George, the Johnson Clark Harris to my Efron Mason Clark. Got the tattoos to match as well. Hi, mate. This is not a Monday pod. And so we're not going to be going into Monday pod detail across two match days. That would be crazy. It's the run-in. It's not time for that. It's winners and losers of the EFL Easter weekend. Who gained ground? Who lost ground in the context of promotion and relegation? If you'd like to read a sort of cheat sheet, if you like, uh, if you've been busy all weekend, then sign up on Substack to the EFL newsletter by NTT20, nttt20.substack.com for quick notes on each game, highlights so that you can pick and choose what you'd like to catch up with. Otherwise, we have got you covered. The headline, George, at the top of the championship, we've lost Burnley already. Promotion confirmed on Friday when they beat Middlesbrough. Were they hungover on Monday when they played Sheffield United? Not a bit of it. Yeah, I mean, confirming what we've known for a very long time, and that is that Burnley are destined to return to the Premier League. That is that they've been the best team in the division this season. I think it's quite nice the way that they've done it, where you know, currently Luton are sitting in third. But if you take the season as a whole... You've got Sheffield United, who've been clearly the second best team over the whole course of the the, uh, the season, and second, who beat them five two at Bramall Lane in a result and a game that felt at the time like it was going to be fairly significant in terms of who would go on and win the title. And you've got Middlesbrough, who, <clears throat> if you take out a really poor start to the season, have been the second best team in the league basically since um, the beginning of October. And Burnley have played them both over the weekend, where they've secured promotion where they've all but secured the title and they've beaten them both and done so fairly comfortably as well mitigating circumstances as well uh, obviously with the the Sheffield United result last night where Fotheringham was sent off after about 15 minutes the correct decision was a, a strange one where the referee initially Michael Salisbury gave a penalty and didn't whip out the red card straight away just a, a great bit of officiating really where he went over spoke to the linesman I think the liner obviously said to him the contact was outside, but you know if he doesn't bring him down, it's a clear goal-scoring opportunity. I think Teller would have been able just to run the ball into the back of the net. And so they reversed the penalty decision, gave a free kick, and um, gave a red card, which was the correct result. And from then on then, they were they were very, fairly comfortable, even though it took them until the hour mark to score. Uh, Goodmanson scoring both goals. And, and that is just, I think, beating both those sides in the way that they have done, doing it professionally, sticking to their, their style of play that we've come to know so well. Burnley have been... And I think with every week that goes by, it becomes more and more obvious how elite they are uh, amongst not great company. No pun intended, because company is very great. So it, it's been a joy to watch. Sadly, we only have them for a season. And um, I'm going to be very intrigued as to how they get on playing this style of football in the, in the, in the top flight next season. Yeah, no misery, just company. They've been absolutely brilliant. I don't know how well you remember July the 29th, George, where you and I sat in a booth in Victoria Sports Bar and Grill mm. and we watched Huddersfield nil Burnley 1 in the context of their season 
in which they've won 26 games, in which they've only lost two. It's not a result that leaps off the page. And yet the noises that we were making in the first 45 minutes, the the excitement that we felt when we realised that a summer in which the narrative was you can't go from a Daesh 442 to a Pep style something else in the space of a few weeks. We realised that narrative was completely false and everyone who decided that was their stance was, had been wasting their time. <laughs> Thankfully, you had the vision in the summer to look past that, to look past the others who looked at some admittedly quite concerning reports about the, the finances of the takeover and the finances of the club and the impact of relegation on that front and looked past that uh, and, and, and saw what we've seen. I mean, two defeats in 40 games is absolutely unbelievable. I've, I've written a bit about what I admire about their tactics on the newsletter. I've read about, written about some of the most memorable performances. I, I would just add one thing that I think is really important tactically that I think is a, another reason why I think they've been so good is that generally there are a few different approaches tactically and generally the very, very top teams look to achieve control uh, and that control is generally achieved with a high possession style with patient build-up with really choreographed patterns of play that allow you a platform uh, on which to then sprinkle stardust and most of the elite teams in the world try to exert a level of control there's also in football and the reason we love football and that games don't always look really boring and anemic and controlled a huge dose of chaos that is a natural ingredient of a football match. And there are some teams whose skill lies in enjoying chaos and thriving in chaos. And I think, you know, to use the Liverpool and Manchester City example, which always comes up in tactics chat, that team at their best under Klopp, of course, they've had a, a level of control where necessary, but actually it's in moments of transition. It's in moments of chaos where they've thrived. And what struck me about Burnley in both of these games and across the whole season is that, we knew immediately they wanted to exert a level of control with possession play, with really good build-up play. But they've also been masters of chaos. When the game is messy, when it breaks down, when there are spaces, they've been brilliant in those scenarios as well. They've been so good defending transition moments, which for teams that play that sort of style is not a given, can be very, very difficult because of the amount of players that you commit forward and the, and the spaces generally between your defensive players when you lose it. But they've can so few counter-attack goals that I can think of and they've actually thrived if and when they've been able to create a little bit of chaos they they, they almost prefer it when the defense they're playing against doesn't just sit back play possum and allow them to have the ball but actually comes onto them or tries to press or is aggressive on second balls because that's where the execution of their passing and the the sort of final balls that they play with Teller running in behind kind of the biggest threat and the biggest strength that they have going forward probably and we saw that uh, in both of these games here. So I wonder if there are any players that you'll remember specifically. For me, I'll, I'll remember Teller for his consistency over the course of the season, for the running in behind, for the movement and the speed and the skill that's been so difficult to defend. And then I'll remember Josh Cullen. I think he's the one. When I talk about control, he's the one. <laughs> yeah, I think Cullen has been one of the signings of the EFL um, this season. I think he's a player who... You know, a lot is said about his um, how tidy he is on the ball. That he's a very intricate passer, which is true. But I think he offers way more than that as well. You know, I think the way that Burnley press, having someone like him with his energy in midfield, is so important. We saw him 
um, with a, a really important uh, back post, kind of really brave header, after which Billy Sharp kind of pushed him into the advertising hoardings. Uh, and that is kind of him in a nutshell. He might not be the biggest. He may not look necessarily like a you know a physical player, but I think he offers you a lot off the board as well. Um, I think in, in my mind, and I agree, you know, Teller, Benson, Cullen, I think Harbour Bellis has been, when he's been fit, has been magnificent as his Bayer. Um, I think Ian Matson at left back has been superb. But I think in my mind, you know, going back to the predictions early in the season, I would be lying if I, you know, the reason why I had them top of the league is because I expected company to come in and, and uh, you know, have this kind of impact over his side and, and even the, the, you know, the style of change to work. It was mainly because, A, they were the best of the three teams who've been relegated by miles in the Premier League and that wasn't reflected in the, the narrative around them and, B, because um, the recruitment that we, we'd seen up to that stage looked very smart. Um, but I think what will stick out to me and is probably the bit that gets spoken about the least and is maybe the most impressive thing that company has done is how you have a lot of players within this side or this squad who were there last season, who were there the season before and were playing in a completely different kind of system, were recruited for a different kind of system and yet have been massive players. You know, you only have to look to last night where Goodmanson came off the bench and scored twice. Josh Brownhill has been unbelievable this season. Ashley Barnes, if honestly, if you had told me back when we watched that um, Huddersfield game, first game of the season, that Ashley Barnes was going to still be leading the line come April, I'd have thought, well, that's my bet over <laughs> because that doesn't work. But he's been a massive player for them. Rodriguez went fit as well. Um, you know, so for to be able to integrate players that are recruited for a, for a different style and to bring them up to what is a very high level, I think is it's just elite level coaching. There's no other way to say that. And you can point your fingers and say, oh, they spent this much or that much. But you know, when it comes to getting those players operating the way they have done, then you know, there's no, there's no. Um, you can't really hold anything against them for that. You have to just give credit where credit's due. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Burnley are on 90 points after 40 games. They're promoted with seven games still remaining. That's uh, the earliest that that has happened in the what they call the modern championship era. Um, they are 14 points clear of Sheffield United. So the title will be confirmed with a win in their next game or realistically any dropped points from Sheffield United. The other thing on their horizon potentially is Reading's championship record points tally of 106 points it's pretty straightforward the question uh, the, the achievement will not be straightforward the question is straightforward Burnley needs 16 points from six games that means with five wins and a draw they will level uh, Reading's record with six wins they will beat it with anything else and Reading will maintain their record. We won't be talking loads about Burnley in the next few weeks because they are done and dusted. We will be talking plenty, I think, about the teams beneath them. George, let's clear up the automatic promotion battle and what happened over the weekend. Uh, a good weekend for Luton Town. Four points for them. They're now nine points clear of seventh. So I think we can pretty much say that a playoff spot is nailed on. But with each win... You do look above them. Sheffield United with a win and a defeat. Middlesbrough, really the losers of the weekend, just in terms of the battle for top four. Their automatic promotion hopes look dashed. They're now eight points behind Sheffield United. Luton are five points behind Sheffield United. Sheffield United have a game in hand over both of them. So despite defeat on Monday night, George, probably still a, a good weekend for Sheffield United. Th there doesn't look like there'll be any drama here. Uh, but if there is, maybe Luton are most likely. 
yeah, I, I think Luton have to be seen as being most likely now. I think with, with Borough being eight points back um, with just five games to go or, or five games for Borough to go, it, it would be an almighty task for them to make that up, especially with Blades having that game in hand. You know, it, it looks to me, I think you're right, where for Sheffield United in terms of pure performances and results, um, it's probably about par. You know, they beat a struggling Wigan side 1-0 on Good Friday and then they... Again, with mitigating circumstances, they started the game okay, but then got beat 2 0 away from home by the best team in the league. You know, there's nothing particularly special there. But with Borough dropping points, um, and with that win, you know, on Saturday, sorry, on Friday, um, they're putting themselves still in a pretty good position, well, in a very good position, you'd think, to, to get automatically promoted this season. Um, I mean, Luton are, I guess, a bit of an issue. Like, their form is incredibly good. They're playing relentlessly well. Um, and they've got two games against relegation strugglers before it gets harder. You know, they, they have to go to Rotherham on Saturday, and then they host, sorry, then they go to Reading um, next midweek. You'd probably anticipate they're going to get, you know, with their current level of form, at least four points from those two games. And if that's the case, they're going to hold Sheffield United up to their task. And for Blades, it probably isn't ideal that they are now currently a week and a half out from a trip to Wembley against Manchester City in the FA Cup semi-final. Now, you know, this is one of those things that people say, and I'm never sure how much it actually means, but <clears throat> this is the biggest game on the biggest stage that a lot of these players would have had so far in their career. Um, the prize for any kind of result against City will be the biggest prize possible. You know, I know that for many fans, I mean, this is the same debate we had the other day, for many fans, um, promotion will be the the be all and end all but for these players I can absolutely guarantee you that an FA Cup final would be um, the a, a pinnacle of their career that a lot of them wouldn't have thought was possible so albeit very unlikely and there's also the desperation not to miss the game you know you always have to think whether it is taking that um, tactical yellow card that would put them on a tightrope whether it's not exerting themselves to avoid getting an injury or, or whatever it is that is there a mental side to ensuring that these players have availability for that for that FA Cup semi-final possibly so you know, I wouldn't say it's necessarily um, done yet in terms of, of Blades getting promoted. Their fixtures are fairly favourable as well with two home games back-to-back now against Cardiff and Bristol City. Um, you'd think six points from those two and they should be able to go into that FA Cup semi-final pretty much there in terms of, of, of getting up to the Premier League. But, um, but it's not done yet. Preston, surely, George, the big winners Outside of Burnley, the only team to win both games over Easter weekend. They were five points off the playoffs before the weekend. They're now level on points with them. Uh, The way it came about was a pretty straightforward win and an impressive performance as well away at QPR. I say straightforward win because uh, QPR's own performance levels have been so poor, but Preston deserved it. Mm, Cannon. (laughs) cannot stop scoring two at Loftus Road one on Monday now this seemed a little bit trickier they only beat Reading 2-1 and it was an injury time winner from Brad Potts but they absolutely battered Reading had they not won this game it it would have been one of the great robberies of Easter weekend Uh, they did so talk to me about Preston North End George out of seemingly nowhere they're on the cusp of the playoffs and they're in the best form of any of those teams around them they're playing really well. That is the key to this. And it's amazing how it's another Premier League loanee who comes in in January, just like last season, who has instigated such an incredible run of form. It was Cameron Archer last season. And I would I would almost argue that, you know, Cameron Archer, there was so much hype about him last season at the time when he was doing it. I think Cannon, not, 
I'm not saying he's better, but I think the impact that he's having in terms of pure results and the player that I'm seeing makes me think that he's he's not much worse than Archer um, in terms of everything that he offers. He is such a clear and obvious goal scorer in terms of the way that he, the positions that he gets into, his unknowing finishing ability. And we said early on in his loan spell when he wasn't scoring goals, it was obvious when you watched him that he was a goal scorer because of the positions he was getting himself into. And even though he was squandering those chances, it was only a matter of time until he started to put them away. And they are in such a strong run of form. Um, they've only lost one of their last 11 games um, and that was that 4-0 drubbing at Borough, which we can forgive them for. But they bounced back from that with such ease. And yes, you know, as you say, a 2-1 home win against Reading may not be anything to, to crow about, but they were far better value for that win than just the scoreline suggests and, and the late goal from Brad Potts suggests. And there is something in, I think, where if they'd gone 2-0 up in this game early and they coasted to victory, it would have been yet another three points. I think having Brad Potts nodding home in the 93rd minute, taking off his shirt, running in front of the home fans, getting absolutely cleaned out by Ryan Ledson. <laughs> if I was Ryan Lowe, I'd be saying to, to, Le, to Lego, I know you want to start, mate, but don't start wiping out the, your, the players who are starting ahead of you. Um, but yeah, there, there's got to be something positive in that relief and that outpouring of emotion and for the fans to think, oh no, we're going to drop points here. It's such an opportune moment to, to really close the gap on other teams. And to get that and the euphoria that comes after it as well, um, I think you know that that three points is, is possibly worth worth more than the um, the three at this stage of the season than the, the the cozy one. So they've got Millwall next. They've got Blackburn, not the one after that, but the the one after that. Their their, their yeah. fixtures are massive, and <laughs> and you know with Millwall and Blackburn, probably the losers of the weekend in this conversation in the playoff picture both of them picking up just one point from their two games they're still in fifth and sixth but now the, the positive energy that comes from those late winners of Preston means that they'll be heading into those games um, feeling very very positive whereas Millwall and Blackburn perhaps feeling a little more nervy definitely I mean I think the the game between Millwall and North End is really interesting um, this coming weekend because you've got Preston North End who are one of the form teams in in the division who, as I say, come into this with with all the momentum, you know, and all the belief, thinking they can do this, up against the Millwall side, who, you know, they were pressed in a couple of weeks ago, but they haven't scored in their last four games. Um, they're struggling in every facet. They went to a side in Hull with very little to play for and were beaten one nil and didn't offer a great deal in the game. You know, it's interesting to me. I was having a look through just through the the odds this morning. Um, and Millwall are heavy odds on to win this one. You know, with the Betfair Sportsbook, they're they're three to four. So, um, yeah, I mean, it is uh, in my mind not representative of where both of these sides are right now. Um, and I and I think it wouldn't be representative as well as the way that both of these <clears throat> sets of fans will feel about this game going into it. I don't think Millwall will feel confident at all given the run that they're on. I think Preston will go there thinking that they can give Millwall a bloodied nose. Um, you know, it's it's such a tantalisingly poised uh, game this at, at this time. And, you know, Preston North End, we, we said a couple of weeks ago that their playoff hopes were on a, you know, were on a, on a string, basically. But because all the teams around them from, you know, whether it's Norwich, whether it's Blackburn, Millwall themselves, Watford, West Brom, they're all out of form. So, so quickly, North End have just strung a couple of wins together and then and they're now bang there. Um, and a win and a win here against Millwall would see them, you know, in the box seat to, to get into that. I wonder if there are some tweets being deleted from a chunk of the North End fan base. 
this is boring. It's so boring. God, why is it so boring all the time under Ryan Lowe? Man, it doesn't feel that boring right now, does it? Now, a couple of other bits from, from this chunk of the table. Oh, I did want to bring up Josh Onoma because he had a really good weekend for Preston and, and, you know, the first time in a Preston shirt that he's started impacting games. And they picked him up on deadline day and I liked the look of the signing because I've always got the memory of Onoma's couple of months just after COVID, the end of the 1920 season when he was so good for Fulham and helped them win promotion through the playoffs in the championship. And clearly, you know, players sometimes you know, burn brightly and then and then never reach those heights again. But I think there's a big player in there. And because of his lack of match sharpness and match fitness, he hasn't really been involved at all, which has meant that understandably fans are a bit like, what's the, what was the point of that signing? Well, for a little freebie on deadline day when you haven't got a big budget and you haven't got a lot of money to spend, but maybe you, you want to just try and, and get someone in who might impact games at the, the sharp end of the season, suddenly it's looking pretty smart, especially with Alan Brown having been ruled out with injuries. So uh, I, I think he, he may have come off on Monday on a mess. I'm not sure about any injuries that he may have picked up. Too many exertions, if anything. But I wanted to bring him up because I think he, he's someone who could have an impact in the last four weeks of the season, having had no impact at all on the championship season so far. Uh, then I want to talk about Blackburn Rovers because they lost against Norwich on Friday. They drew against Huddersfield on Monday. Now, by all accounts, their performance against Norwich was pretty good. Norwich's two goals were really well taken. I watched the game against Huddersfield in which they were 2-0 down after 15 minutes. Huddersfield had completed 15 passes. Uh, in in 15 minutes, um, Blackburn had had whatever 85% possession. Huddersfield were two 0 up, scored their first two shots. It was classic cult of Warnock stuff. This is what he does. Blah 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 blah. There was loads of time left, and rather than panicking and folding and losing, and Huddersfield going on to win, which is what people expect at that time. I was so impressed with how Blackburn played. I mean, from a purely tactical point of view, I was just loving it because. The fluidity and the rotations, the left-back Pickering, the right-back ranking Costello, the forward players, the positions that they take up are so unusual as to be quite exciting and interesting to me. Now, clearly, it doesn't mean they're an amazing team, but I certainly thought they asked a ton of questions of a Huddersfield defence that, you know, are pretty well organised and pretty well drilled at this time. And I think that's because of their movement off the ball. Now, they scored a lovely goal through ranking Costello to pull one back, and then the equaliser at the end was Hedges tapping in a rebound. I was really impressed with Rovers' level of performance in that game. But one point from the weekend doesn't look that good. So they're a loser of the weekend. And yet I've kind of flagged them as a team that aren't, you know, maybe the narrative would be, oh, they're dropping off. What I saw on Monday, I was really impressed with. So I don't really know what to expect over the next few weeks. Uh, Millwall, no goals in their last four. You've you've alluded to that's concerning. Although they, again, they created quite a lot against Hull. Couldn't get uh, any goals in the net. Goals in the net. George, I, I wonder what you think about Norwich's weekend because objectively what was a three or four point gap to the playoffs has been cut to one with four points they beat Blackburn they drew it home to Rotherham because they drew it home to Rotherham because they're so poor at home it doesn't feel like they're looming large it doesn't feel like they're on the cusp it doesn't feel like they're punching their way in and yet they've got closer over the weekend which is bizarre because as you say the, the performances haven't been great I mean just on back on what you said about Blackburn <clears throat> it, it you know tying into that 2-0 defeat at home to Norwich, it does feel to me like Blackburn are maybe on the receiving end of a bit of variance now. I mean, we spoke a lot at the beginning of the season about how they were in such a lofty championship position, despite all underlying numbers suggesting that they weren't 
necessarily an elite championship side. I heard you on Five Live yesterday talk about how, in your mind, you think um, performances have improved recently. And it was a brave thing in my mind to say on national radio because a lot of people who follow the EFL, especially from afar, will just judge teams on results and um, league tables rather than any nuance that is there. But I completely agree with you. I think right now Rovers are playing some of their best stuff of the season. And that pesky variance is getting in the way where suddenly teams are putting their chances away against them, uh, which wasn't the case early in the campaign. For Norwich, yeah, I, I totally agree. I think they are... Um, it, they feel to me like a team in transition now, in a way. You know, we had the press release come out from Norwich last week that Tamer Puki would be leaving the club at the end of at the end of his contract, which kind of feels quite end of season-y. You got David Wagner completely changing the the playing style of the of, of the team right now. They they don't feel to me like a side who are mounting a massive promotion bid in the next six weeks to to get back to the Premier League. Right now, it, it kind of feels like if they do end up in the top six, it'll be almost by accident rather than design. Um, now that is is isn't any slight on them and what they're doing it's just in my mind at the moment the performances don't look great and it feels like they're, they're kind of trying to get to grips with with how Wagner wants them to play um, but as I said a second ago because the teams around them are not picking up points regularly at all and they're, because they're keeping clean sheets I mean it does feel like basically the, the team in this group of, of, of four or five sides in and around the playoffs probably whoever keep, keeps the most clean sheets is going to end up getting in by default um, so yeah, I mean, it's, again, against Rotherham. I mean, we, we should point out that Rotherham, if we're going to do the, the, the winners and the losers of the weekend, Rotherham have to rank pretty high in terms of the winners because I think their performance at home to West Brom was arguably the best performance of any side over the whole weekend. Well, let, let's leave behind the playoff picture then and let's go down to, to that bottom chunk of the table, to the bottom eight or so, because Rotherham, with that win against West Brom, the Jordan Hugill game, as I'm calling it. Jordan Hugill playing against a club in West Brom where he had a, a subpar loan season, I think it's fair to say, getting barracked by the West Brom fans. Bit of pantomime stuff with their former player. Then Hugill gives away a penalty and West Brom go 1-0 up and the West Brom fans are gleeful. And then Jordan Hugill scores. And then Jordan Hugill hits the bar. And then Jordan Hugill scores again. And Rotherham keep going. And they are just punching West Brom in the mouth for the entirety of the second half and winning 3-1. They then go to Carrow Road on Monday and draw 0-0. George, this is performances and results. Rotherham, massive winners of the weekend. For sure. Performances, so good. The players brought in in January, Hugo and Fosu, paying their weight in gold in terms of what they're offering Rotherham right now. And they're now up in 18th. They've got a game in hand on most of the sides around them. We can't call them safe yet you know they are four points clear the relegation zone with that game in hand but if they continue their performance levels from the weekend across their last six games of the season I think they'll finish seven or eight points clear like miles clear of it right now because they're they're playing well Matt Taylor's done an incredible job um, again you might look at where Rotherham were when he took over look at the slump and form under him and think, you know, well, he's saving for relegation, but they, when he took over, they were outside the playoffs. That is not right. You know, it's not easy to replace a manager who has the kind of impact and, and positive influence that Paul Warren had whilst trying to change the style of play, whilst bringing in a whole raft of players in January. Um, <clears throat> he's done an unbelievable job to, to get them to where they are. And 
you know the progress was was obvious to anyone watching on in both of their performances over the weekend. Uh, amazing what he's done. Yeah, they started the weekend two points above the relegation zone. They're now four points above it. And there are three teams between them and the dotted line and the bottom three. So uh, there really would have to be uh, some collapse and the improved form of a number of teams beneath them for Rotherham to go down at this point. They have massively strengthened their position. Uh, as have Huddersfield, you have to say, George, despite giving away that two-goal lead on Monday against Blackburn on Friday, they went to Vicarage Road and they beat Watford. They instigated mutiny at Vicarage Road. I think it's fair to say the, the fans completely turning uh, on those that are running the club and I guess on the players as well. Watford then drew on, on Monday, two all against Coventry, having been 2-0 up. But let's talk Huddersfield and, and Neil Warnock. Four points, the return from the weekend out of the relegation zone now. Yeah, massive winners. It, it's unbelievable what he's done. And you know, I think everyone has now seen the video of him after the Watford game asked what he's changed and what he said was well you know you've got a good manager now and then has a little look at the camera in classic Warnock style mm. you know I think crucially he's got individual players operating at a, at a different level to what they were previously you know Jack Radoni part of our 21 under 21 we said sitting on that sofa at Sky that you know the goals were going to come um, it just hadn't happened yet and finally you know two and two over the weekend um, he's a player who has done so much right at Huddersfield this season but it's thriving under Warnock and that's great to see and then Matty Pearson with four goals in his last three games is just a, a ridiculous run and you know all the intangibles that you talk about when you get to um, when you're talking about Warnock in terms of just wanting it more and the rest of it you feel like every Pearson goal that you're seeing you're seeing that in action just in terms of winning every second ball getting to the first ball at set pieces as well and then in Pearson having a player who can sniff out the, the chance from six yards and, and tuck it away. Um, they yeah, they deserve the win at, at Watford. Um, I'm not entirely sure that you could have said they deserved the, the win against Blackburn. I think you know they, they scored with their two early forays forward um, in that game. Blackburn had loads of pressure. Not just after the, they went 2-0 down, Blackburn were, were definitely the side in the ascendancy before the first goal was scored as well in the first 10-15 minutes. Um, not just in terms of, of ball retention, but also chances too. Uh, and were good value for their for their two-all draw. And, you know, it would be frustrating to Huddersfield that probably if they'd held on there, you, you might say in the, same, in the same way as Rotherham that they're not quite safe, but they're pretty much there. Um, they're not quite there now, obviously. You know, it, it, would, it would just take a, a turn of results um, for them to be sat back into it. But, Unbelievable, what Warnock has done. You know, totally and utterly incredible. You know, I've, he's done this a couple of times. I think the Rotherham one was was the most impressive to date. But if he pulls this off with Huddersfield, I think it's it's one of the best firefighting missions I think we've seen in English football. Mm. Unbelievable. Yeah, they're currently two points above the relegation zone at Huddersfield. Uh, they're level on points with QPR, also two points above it. They only got one point from their weekend's action, but it felt significant because having lost on Friday, they were two 0 down. Uh, very early on against West Brom and they rallied and they came back and Lyndon Dyke scored a magnificent header and Chris Martin charged down Josh Griffiths to equalise and then they didn't fold. They showed some resolve, they showed some character, the sorts of things that their fans want as a bare minimum and they picked up a point to be two points clear at this stage. they got five games to go. Cardiff are one point beneath them and one point above the relegation zone. They've got a game in hand over everyone around them bar Rotherham. It's that game against Rotherham and I guess it's a good weekend for Cardiff even though it might not feel like it's sitting here on Tuesday having lost yesterday against Sunderland at home because they beat Blackpool. 3-1 and that was the more significant game really they've picked up three points 
over a weekend where four teams around them got zero or one. That means it was a good weekend for Cardiff, even if they still look vulnerable, probably feel vulnerable. I still believe that they are nowhere near as bad as some of the teams around them. So the losers of the weekend, George, in the relegation battle, there are quite a few of them, really. Uh, Let's start with Wigan, who are at the bottom. They're eight points from safety. They lost both games over the weekend without scoring. Didn't really lay much of a glove on Sheffield United or Swansea and we're open at the back. Wigan, I think, will be in League One next season and I think the fans are starting to come to terms uh, with that. But Blackpool and Reading are the other two teams in the bottom three at the moment. One of them's definitely sat their manager, George, and one of them may have sacked their manager. I dare say if John Percy is reporting that they're in discussions about sacking Paul Ince, then that could be the end for him. John Percy's so good at reporting news stories. Like I could be on my way home from the office with a fridge full of food to you know to whip up a home cooked meal, and John Percy could tweet reports that Ali Maxwell's considering sacking it off and ordering a pizza tonight, and I'd be like, don't think so, mate. I I haven't actually thought about that, but then he'd end up being right. I think you could tweet that. Every day at around 6.30, and you probably have quite a good success rate. So I think you're doing John a bit of a, um, yeah. I mean, he is, no, of course he is. He's, he's kind of the oracle when it comes to this stuff. Um, and it's such a weird one with Ince, in my mind, where, you know, I, I'm not going to st- stick up for him at all. But, you know, if you take, you know, you and I had them in the relegation zone pre-season, I think the off-field issues and the possibility, I mean, I'd l- actually be interested to listen back to what we said. Yeah, I mean, for Ince, I'm certainly not going to stick up for him. He's not a manager that I would want managing my club personally. Um, and But in the same time, in terms of pure results, you know, he is probably going to have Reading get enough points this season in order to avoid the drop if it wasn't for the points deduction. And in my mind, given Reading's squad, uh, that isn't, <laughs> you know, that's basically the most that you can expect. And you have to wonder if, as is so often the case, a run of good results early in the season... It's completely warped the expectation levels of, of, of Reading fans around Ince. Now, I know that there are other issues here. I know that the style of play, for example, is certainly an issue that Reading fans have with, with Paul Ince. His post-match interviews do not go down particularly well at all. I'm not for a second suggesting that, that Reading fans are wrong uh, in not wanting to him to be their manager. I completely get that. It's more just about pure um, expectation level and reality and budget size and squad size and the rest of it. Um but, you know, where are they going to go from now? Who knows? Because the performances are consistently terrible. You know, they may have conceded late on against Preston, but as we said, it was very much deserved um, from a Preston point of view. And I find it hard from here. You know, luckily for them, there's a side in QPR just down the road who are equally poor. But there was, I guess, a pulse uh, on Easter Monday uh, and we yet to see that from Reading. And just a quick word on Blackpool, where for Mick McCarthy to come in, you know, we, we're lauding Neil Warnock, and rightly so. Um, but if you take out the 6-1 win over QPR from Mick McCarthy's job at Blackpool, it is hard to think of a worse short-term managerial run, especially from somebody who we think of as being pretty bulletproof in terms of what he can offer. I don't know what has happened there, but when Michael Appleton left the club, they were sitting just in the relegation zone with a favourable favorable run of fixtures ahead of them with Josh Bowler coming back to the club and a couple of, you know, Morgan Rogers coming in, a couple of other, Tom Tribal. And there was a thinking that 
this was a great time for, for McCarthy to take over. They have been appalling. Um, so I don't know if that's vindication for Appleton. I don't know if that is a whatever it is. Again, maybe it's just a sign that sometimes if a squad are losing games, it's not the manager's fault. It's just because their squad is worse than most other squads in the league. And I think that's probably the case with, with Blackpool. Uh, Stephen Dobby is in at the moment, uh, which is a bit of fun. Uh, do you know Stephen Dobby had four loan spells at Blackpool, was never actually a Blackpool player? Because I found that out on the radio yesterday. Um, I called him a Vidi Printer All-Star, which I think... You did. And then he mentioned Queen of the South. It was it was a great bit of radio. Loved it. Well, it's because that's who he scored loads of goals for, for the most part. I think Alex Bruce was a bit confused. I think Jack O'Connell was thinking, who the hell is this guy? I understand. <laughs> Um, there was a, an impressive group of results for a, a group of teams that many considered to be edging towards the beach with with nothing really to shoot for. So Sunderland picked up four points, a four-all draw against Hull on Friday, one no win against Cardiff. Bristol City picked up four points, beating Stoke and drawing with Borough. So really impressive results on paper over the weekend. Uh, Swansea drew with Coventry and then beat Wigan, so four points for Swans as well. Uh, and Hull themselves drew at Sunderland uh, and then beat Millwall 1-0. So there's that chunk of teams who are all winners of the weekend in terms of their results and their points returned, some really impressive uh, performances and results in there. Uh, and maybe Sunderland will be persuading themselves that they've still got a chance if they can string three or four wins together. We will see. But broadly, I'm afraid those teams are not the protagonists at the moment. Uh, let's move on to League One. George, uh, please, can you try and explain the winners and losers situation at the top of League One? It's so tense up there that every result seems to matter hugely. Uh, and yet I'm here looking at the league table and not loads has changed since last week. Yeah, I think recency bias plays a massive part in this. And for that reason, I think Sheffield Wednesday have to be the the winners of the, of the, yeah, of the four, just about. For, for Wednesday... You know, they drew um, one all against Oxford on Good Friday, live on Sky. Barry Bannon scored an unbelievable goal to make it 1-0. And then Oxford piled on the pressure, were pretty fortuitous in terms of the penalty that was given to them. Um, but I think on the balance of play, a one-all draw is probably a fair result with Oxford, you know, better, having the better chances in the second half um, after the, the equaliser too. But then for Wednesday to beat Accrington, you know, you'd expect them to, but given it was six games without a win to beat Accrington, to do it so comfortably on Easter Monday, on a day where both Plymouth Argyle and Ipswich drop points with Argyle losing 2-0 at home to Lincoln and Ipswich drawing one all away at Cheltenham, putting Sheffield Wednesday back top of the table currently, albeit with Argyle, Ipswich and Barnsley all having a game in hand. I think they're the ones where their, their promotion chances, if you look at over the course of the, the weekend has finished on the on the highest basically point possible. I mean Barnsley will also feel similarly positive. They were beaten by Burton on Good Friday, but then a, a, a two one win against Shrewsbury, um, important, although Nicky Cadden's straight red and therefore three game ban is a massive issue because he's a huge player for them in terms of what he can uh, offer both from set pieces and from open play. For Argyle and Ipswich, you know, it's a weird one with Argyle where they came back from Morecambe, at Morecambe from 1-0 down to win 3-1, putting the 4-0 uh, pizza trophy defeat well behind them, albeit not with the most convincing performance. They then were beaten 2-0 at home to Lincoln. Now, this is just another example of Lincoln being this bizarre team who, for some reason, have a hoodoo over the best teams in League One. 
Um, Lincoln City, pretty good value for their, for their 2-0 win at home park. Just the second game that Argyle have lost at home. So you would think, therefore, that Argyle dropping off top spot, losing at home 2-0, would be um, the biggest losers here. But I'm not necessarily sure that they are because not a great deal changed in terms of what they need to do to, to get promoted because it's still in their hands with Ipswich. Maybe the biggest losers, not in terms of their performance levels, but just because they were 1-0 up at Cheltenham going into the last 10 minutes of that game. If they win that game, they are then top of League One with a game in hand over Sheffield Wednesday and have overtaken Plymouth Argyle. You would think at that point, their promotion, given how relentlessly good they are, given they hadn't conceded a goal in nearly nine games and have won every single game, 25 goals without reply. So I think Alfie May's goal with five minutes to go could be the most significant goal scored amongst all of these and might even make Ipswich the biggest losers of the of the, um, of the of the top teams, purely because they go from basically being top of the league on this relentless run of form that's going to see them get promoted as champions to suddenly finding themselves in third with behind Argyle again, having played the same amount of games, two points behind Wednesday, albeit with the game in hand. They're clean sheet streak, streak broken, broken in, in bizarre circumstances where clearly the, the, the win played a part, but Christian Walton, who's been so incredibly solid for them, coming out, not getting to a ball, and falling to May, who swivels and finishes a, a, a brilliant finish. It just, you know, their bulletproof nature, gone. It was exactly the kind of goal that they had been conceding earlier in the season, where if they hadn't, you know, aberrations at the back moments of, of lack of concentration have been the story for Ipswich Town and are basically the reason why they aren't already promoted it just is a bit of a chink in their armour um, and you know, I, I personally still think that Ipswich will get promoted I, I personally still think Ipswich are, are the most likely team to finish top of League One um, but it's you know it is in terms of significance I think the goal that Alfie May scored is, is the most significant and is probably the best thing that could have happened to Wednesday and, and Argyle over the course of, of Monday. When Argyle went 1-0 down uh, against Lincoln, Aaron threw to me on 5 Live. It was early in that game. On Friday, they'd gone 1-0 down early to Morecambe and they had just you know, shown great composure to get back in the game, win it 3-1, goals from substitutes, which has been a feature of their season, great mentality, which has been a feature of their season, great fighting spirit, which has been a feature of their season. He threw to me and said, you know, damaging goal for Argyle. And I said, Aaron, mate, just chill. They'll be fine. They're going to come back <laughs> and win this game. Don't worry about it. And I thought I was, I thought it would just be fun to, to do some stuff like that on the radio yesterday, just to, <laughs> you know, just to spice things up a little bit, just to make it a little more interesting than, than saying like, yeah, big goal type stuff. Mm. Um, anyway, I looked really stupid because the surprising and concerning thing about this was having conceded a goal following their own attacking corner for the second game in a row, I'm still probably thinking that's just a bit of a freak. It's not ideal, but it's a bit of a freak. And they had been in the ascendancy for 28 minutes. But from the moment Shadipo put Lincoln ahead, Lincoln were the better side. Lincoln were the ones that looked more likely to score a second goal and did then score a second goal. Uh, and after a little flurry... Uh, between 50 and 60-odd minutes from Argyle, Lincoln finished the stronger as well. So it's it's the level of performance from 
going 1-0 down onwards that that's very peculiar to me for a team that's been so confident at home this season. Uh, I don't want to read loads into it and say that means they've lost all their confidence and they'll now lose loads of games from this point. But it certainly was head-scratching. Uh, Ipswich and Argyle have that game in hand and they're going to have it for a few weeks, which is, I can't tell if that annoys me or excites me. It, it, it adds another layer of uncertainty to this conversation Uh, they've both got a game in hand and it comes on the 25th of april so we've got three full match days before then um and that's gonna play a big part you'd think in the conversation uh george in the playoff picture the big winners breaking news (gasps) it's gone john percy's done it again will i be having pizza for dinner that's the question (laughs) probably not but maybe nothing more to add your honor I think we've done that one already. I think we have, but always exciting to have some breaking news on the pod. Are they going to turn to like Graham Murty as their Stephen Dobby? Noel Hunt. Oh, Noel Hunt. That's lovely. Till the end of the season. That's absolutely lovely. Um, So, League One playoff battle. Big winners, Peterborough United laying down some cement on playoff boulevard uh, with two wins. 3-0 against Shrewsbury. Mason Clark, Clark Harris on the score sheet. 3-1 versus Exeter. Mason Clark, Clark Harris on the score sheet. Uh, George, Darren Ferguson has found a lovely little rhythm back at Peterborough. uh, And they're now looking pretty strong. Two points clear of Bolton and Derby. Uh, Bolton have got a game in hand. Wickham are five back from Posh and three off the playoffs. They have to be the big winners of the weekend. Talk me through the card. Yeah, they're they're playing very well, aren't they? They are inserting themselves especially because of Derby and Bolton's inability to, to pick up wins um, they've gone from being a team on the periphery of the playoffs to suddenly being a team who have a a two-point gap as it stands to those teams chasing them um, and as you mentioned there in Clark Harris and Mason Clark they've got two of the most informed attacking players in the division um, they're you know a, a home game against Exeter is not easy Exeter themselves in, in pretty good form at the moment um, you know the Shrewsbury game maybe a good time to play Shrews but as we've said so many times, when they click and their attacking interplay goes well and you've got the partnerships of Clark Harris, Poku, um, Mason Clark and Ward um, across that front four, and it basically is a front four, um, they are incredibly hard to play against. Um, Mason Clark, I think, is coming to form at a time where, you know, for him, he's he's had to grow a lot as a player over the course of the season, you know, coming up from, from non-league, um, initially kind of played as a an impact sub but he's not only solidified his his position now as a first team player but he's one of the informed players in the whole division in terms of, of attacking output now and that's just another string to their bow so yeah I mean we, we said earlier uh in the in Darren Ferguson's latest tenure that they were a kind of Jekyll and Hyde team and that was true for the most part but they seem to have have, do- have dropped the Mr Hyde now and they're just continuously Jekyll even the the nil nil draw against Oxford, you know, they just they just came up against a side who who basically played two banks of four and frustrated them for a whole game, which is going to happen sometimes. Um, and they didn't concede too much from a, a defensive viewpoint. They are right now, given the form of the teams in um, you know in League One in the playoff picture, I think they've got a massive shout of of going the whole way if they do get into it. Um, not you know. F- Part of that is going to be because whoever falls out from that top three of Sheffield Wednesday, Plymouth, Argyle and Ipswich is going to have a hell of a um, job to to get over that disappointment. Then, you've, as I say, that race for sixth, as it looks at the moment, between Bolton and Derby, 
two sides who aren't in great shape and then Barnsley obviously deserve massive respect but the way that Peterborough are going and their you know, relentless ability to score goals is going to make them a difficult opponent for anybody mm. certainly have the upward thrust right now but what one of I think the first point I made on Five Live yesterday and it felt like quite a boring one because it sort of took away from some of the drama and excitement of of that few hours in particular was the teams that have the best form between games 35 and 40 aren't necessarily the teams that will have the best form between games 40 and 46 so there's as you say recency bias is is a huge issue in in all discussion of football but at this stage of the season just as much because your brain leads you to look at a form line and joins the dots and and extrapolates that over the next five to six games and that's who will end up doing it but that's almost never the case you can look at the fixture list you can work out how many points you think each team is going to get based on the fixtures that they have and that's almost never the case like it's just it's uncertain it's brilliant it's exciting it sort of brings me out in in a rash because i i probably prefer feeling like I have a firm grip on things but I guess that's the fun of it. Uh, Wickham still lurking Uh, their gap to sixth went from two points to three points so they lost a bit of ground here uh, but they did get a a comfy win against Forest Green on Monday Um, some more winners George uh, in mid-table Lincoln City who Clearly, we read Lincoln City wrong when, when predicting them to finish 24th. That's that's pretty much a given now. But I maintain they are the most confusing team in the 72. And I'd love to hear if any of their fans can explain, uh, having watched every single game this season, the logic in them having a better record against the top four teams who have set an incredible pace than they do against the bottom four teams who have set a miserable pace. Uh, against the top four, they've played seven games, uh, three wins and four draws and no defeats and still one to play. Against the bottom four, seven games, two wins, four draws and one defeat with one still to play. They are so bamboozling uh, as to bring me out in a second rash. I'm very, very rashy right now. Um, but their performance at Home Park was was fantastic. As I say, it just got stronger and stronger having gone ahead and... It's been a real theme of their games against the top teams. Uh, Bristol Rovers won both games as well. That They seem to lurch from incredible form to horrendous form and back again and then back again. Uh, no real rhyme or reason there either as far as I can tell. So uh, just kind of enjoying the ride there. They got uh, a good win against Fleetwood on Monday in the Joey Barton v Scott Brown old firm renewal uh, down in Fleetwood. And that takes us to the bottom where the winners have to be Cambridge United, George. A 2-1 win against Fleetwood made it back-to-back wins. A late equaliser in Bolton on Monday made it seven points from their last three. They cut the gap to the survival place from five points to three points. Sam Smith finally putting the ball in the back of the net seems to have been the important part here. You've spoken about it on the betting show. The player who, you know, in terms of shot volume and XG was the biggest outlier basically in the whole league in terms of actual goals scored. Um, And... I think it's three and three for him now, albeit one from the spot. And that has coincided with seven points from three games. Um, It did feel for a long time like, you know, Cambridge were playing okay and just weren't really getting the results that they deserved. And they're still playing okay, but finally they're they're managing to edge ahead in games or, as is the case against Bolton, scoring a very late goal to get such an important equaliser. You know, it's hard to really overstate just how big a goal that was at both ends of the pitch Um, for Smith nodding home a, a free kick. Not only, yeah, because that keeps Cambridge in the mix to, to stay up, but also with Bolton dropping points and therefore 
not punishing Derby's uh, own points dropping themselves. There's a really tasty game uh, on Saturday, the early kickoff, as Cambridge hosts Peterborough. Again, massive in terms of the um, two sides where no love lost between the two of them anyway. Um, but then you've also had to that the um, the relevance of this being an early kickoff as well. So therefore, Bolton and Derby, knowing what's happened with Peterborough when they kick off at three o'clock, Oxford, MK Dons, Accrington, all knowing what's happened with Cambridge before they kick off their games too. You have to think if Cambridge can get a win in that one, um, then that would really pile the pressure on because it is it is still close. I mean, they are still, along with Accrington, the likely teams to get relegated. There's no denying that right now. They're still, um, what, three points off Oxford, five points off MK with a game in hand. Um, but given their, you know, we, we always say at the bottom end of League One or the bottom end of any league, if you pick up points regularly, you bridge the gap very quickly. Um, Oxford obviously looking more solid under Liam Manning. Uh, MK Don's picking up points themselves. That's the issue, I guess, that Cambridge have got at the moment where the teams they're chasing down themselves, they're not sitting ducks. Well, that's it, isn't it? I mean, Accrington were the only other team in the bottom six to win this weekend. They did so on Friday against Port Vale uh, and then lost at Hillsborough on Monday. So they shaved their uh, gap to safety from three points to two points. But Oxford and Milton Keynes Dons, George, are the most important parts of this conversation for me, really, because there's a chance that if Cambridge and Accrington, even if they do have a good last few games of the season there's a chance that they might not catch Oxford and MK if in Oxford's position they have turned something of a corner under Liam Manning that's what I want to know from you what I would say about MK Dons is for me this is MK 2.0 this season I really believe that their performance level is impressive I think despite not winning over the weekend both of the points that they picked up were impressive Uh, they scored uh, a nice goal uh, against Derby to equalize having been under the cosh for most of the game but actually showing a backbone and a resilience that was certainly lacking earlier in the campaign they drew it home to Pompey uh, on Friday and they're probably the better side against Pompey albeit they were helped by uh, a first half red card by Joe Morrell so it's kind of confusing sitting here on Tuesday morning thinking that Oxford and having drawn both MK having drawn both have lost ground over the weekend and yet there's something in their performances that doesn't make me as concerned about them as I otherwise would be yeah I mean things have definitely got a lot better under Liam Manning Um, he in his interviews talks a lot about being hard to beat all he says we've got to be hard to beat we've got to be hard to beat and there's no denying that under Liam Manning they have been hard to beat they haven't been beaten yet they've drawn four games in a row Um, and in that they've they've kept two clean sheets and they've only conceded two goals that is a far cry from what we saw under under Carl Robinson where goals were being conceded all too regularly Um, having said that Simon Eastwood has been to thank especially over the Easter weekend for Oxford's record he pulled off an an incredible save from Malik Wilkes uh, against Sheffield Wednesday in the first half which would have made the game sorry in the second half which would have made it 2-0 um, where it was quite funny where both Wilkes and Eastwood made the same face afterwards, which was basically like, wow, what a save. <laughs> um, and then he was Oxford's man of the match against Port Vale as well, a Vale side not in good form. Um, and Eastwood made a string of saves to, to keep Oxford in it. So, yeah, I mean, they are harder to beat. The output from an attacking standpoint isn't great still, creating very little from open play. Um, Oxford's best chances against Sheffield Wednesday came from set pieces with Elliot Moore having two headers well saved. And then, a, then the the penalty itself, and um, you know, again, they didn't create 
loads. Gatlin Adonka had a couple of decent chances against Port Vale, but on the balance of play, they couldn't complain. They didn't win the game. So, given Oxford's fixtures coming up now, we've got um, Bolton at home, followed by Pompey at home on Saturday and Tuesday. Yeah, I'm, I'm not particularly confident that we're, that's going to yield a win from those two games. And if it doesn't, then that means that Oxford are there to be shot at. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Forest Green are a loser of the weekend. Uh, they lost both games. They didn't really lay a glove on Derby or on Wickham in both games. They went behind pretty early and lost. So they're planning for next season in League Two, albeit their relegation wasn't confirmed yesterday. would have been if Oxford had found a winner against Port Vale. They didn't, so Forest Green... Uh, Live to see another day. Does that apply? Not really. They're going down. Um, Fleetwood, Exeter, Shrewsbury, all losers in mid-table. They're all teams in that 10th to 15th chunk, uh, and they all three of them lost both of their games. Shrewsbury in particular look fairly checked out. Um, I sort of... It might not be a popular thing to say uh, or to hear as a fan base because you want your teams to play to the end of the season, but I sort of don't really care if Fleetwood, Exeter and Shrewsbury check out. Uh, for the next four weeks because in I thought you were saying it was the massive race for 11th is your favourite thing yeah go off it no Charlton uh, Charlton have won it because they've right, got okay. they've got the best player in the league yeah. um, <laughs> um, they they yeah I, I sort of think that in with the league as it is with such a clearly strong nine or ten teams uh, the <laughs> god it sounds like such a boring sporting competitive thing but the, the, the pure objective if you don't feel like you're going to be in that chunk is to make sure that you're not part of the relegation conversation in April uh, these teams are not because of the quality that they've shown for 80% of the season and so I'm not that fussed if they check out a little bit of course it may just be that they had a bad weekend and, and maybe there's more to come from these three teams I mean in the championship I just mentioned how many of the, the mid-table chunk had a good weekend so maybe it's not as simple as being on the beach but uh, Fleetwood Exeter Shrews all losing both games League 2 ah oh, man the top of League 2 is good uh, Leighton Orient are at the top of it they picked up four points from their two games threw away a two goal lead against Harrogate on Monday doesn't matter one bit they will still be champions. There's no doubt about that. It just depends when they'll be crowned. Then we have our fun chunk of seven teams separated now by eight points. It was seven at the start of the weekend. From Northampton to Mansfield with Stockport, Carlisle, Stevenage, Bradford and Salford in between. Two of those teams will win automatic promotion. Four of them will go into the playoffs and one of them will miss out on both of those things. It's crazy at the top, George. The big winners, Stockport County, the only team in League Two to win both Easter fixtures. They were four points off third on Friday morning, and now they occupy that final automatic promotion spot. They do, and I think they're there to stay, personally. Um, you know, We've said from fairly early this season that Stockport were maybe the best team in, in League Two. Now, that's no slight on Nathan Orient. I think what it means more is that when Stockport are at their best, they are the best team. Um, when they're at their best, no one can live with them. And they may not have been at their best for most of the season, but they certainly are <clears throat> at the moment, and that is going to be enough to fire them, in my book, into the top three, especially with Northampton and Carlisle playing each other um, on Saturday and with Stevenage in the kind of poor form that they're in, um, in a bit of a funk, even with their game in hand, how many points are you giving them for that? Basically, Stockport have to match Carlisle and Stevenage's results from now to the end of the season. Um, 
not even including Northampton to get promoted. And I think they'll do that with, with, with ease. You know, they've beaten a Newport team who are in serious form at the moment uh, and dispatched them 4-0 with minimal fuss. Um, they still have to go. I mean, in terms of fixtures themselves, they've got to go to Carlisle next Tuesday, which could be pretty lively depending on, on what happens with Carlisle. You know, you, you think maybe if um, it could feel like a bit of a playoff game, that one. Uh, given the position of both sides, uh, with just one, you know, I think one game uh, between. So, regardless of what happens with Stockport going to Gillingham in that Carlisle Northampton game, there's going to be a lot riding on that. And they've still got to go to Orient as well, although they'll be hoping that um, Orient will be having a, pr- a promotion or, or champions party at that stage. Uh, and the other two games they've got are against the two teams most likely to get relegated, probably with, with Rochdale and, and Hartlepool at home. So, um, you can. It's pretty easy to see where Stockport's points are going to come from, despite one or two difficult games. And um, I'd be really surprised if they're not on League One side next season. Yeah, they've conceded five goals in their last twelve games, and that's giving them such a good platform at the moment. They are top of the form table in the last six. They are looking strong at their best. They really, really do look like a serious team. Um, the, the automatic promotion race is so beautiful because it's also the playoff battle uh, and six of the eight teams in the top eight picked up either three or four points this weekend so again they're all setting relatively similar standards uh, but Stephen is George have to be the big losers therefore because they're the only team in this conversation that didn't win this weekend uh, picking up two draws they're now one of three teams on 70 points Stockport Carlisle and Stevenage uh, they've got the worst goal difference of the three which is why they're fifth but they also have a game in hand uh, they are Struggling for wins at the moment. I think it's three and fourteen. Not a good time. Not at all. Um, a team who, uh, you know, to say they've forgotten how to win might be a bit harsh, but I think they're just not operating at the level that they were previously in the season, and maybe that's to be under, you know understandable. It's easy. I think what was it? A thirteen point gap down to to fourth they had at one point, which has now pretty much all been blown. Um, but you know, this wasn't expected at the beginning of the season from from most people, and it's still an incredible effort for them to be where they are at this current stage. I think they've also slightly been a, maybe a bit unlucky in the way that some fixtures have fallen recently, if that makes sense. Um, certainly, Hartlepool, a far more difficult opponent now than they had been been previously. Um, you know, Hartlepool away was a, was basically a gimme win a few weeks ago. And they nearly lost it here. And both sides missed massive chances late on in the games um, to, to win it. I can't remember who it was at Hartlepool, firing over the bar from really close range. And then Stevenage going close as well, um, very late in the game. Um, but you know that they've, yes, they're winless in their last five. They've only lost one of those games. You know they aren't playing too poorly. We saw them go to Northampton recently and get uh, well. They've gone to Northampton and Carlisle and got points, which isn't bad. They've got home games to come now, um, which is so important against sides that they might be expected to beat. You know their three home games left this season against AFC Wimbledon, Doncaster, and Grimsby. Three sides who are not in magnificent form. Um, Swindon and Barrow to come away from home so the, the fixtures they've got are, are maybe the the easiest of those teams in and around where they are um, and they've got that game in hand too you know it's interesting to note that you rightly said it's just a matter of time until Leighton Orient are, are crown champions if you look at the book, the bookmakers odds and the Betfair Sportsbook odds Stephen are just still second favourites to win the league um, but they're about a 25 to 1 shot and I think that's just, that's just a reflection on the games they've got left and their game in hand too I mean it, it's mm. it's not going to happen but um, and and would there potentially be? Do you think in that the fact that their performance data, their shot data, was so strong for like the first 
25 games of the season. Do you think that's still kind of playing a factor in how the bookmakers will be pricing this up? I, I mean, it's dropped off a little bit in the last few weeks. I, I, do, I don't feel like they're able to impose themselves nearly as much as they were in the first half of the season. And the, the sort of stretch on from that is, does any team at this level who starts the season with such an extreme and somewhat unexpected style of play and get so much from it. Is there just a simple case of in the second half of the season when everything's a bit when everyone's a bit wiser to it, it's quite hard to keep doing the same things to teams that you've already played with? Maybe. Yeah, I mean I think there's an element of, of them getting found out. I'd have thought I think teams are probably working a lot more in their set piece defensive work before they play them, knowing how strong they can be. I think Piagiani's probably much more of a marked man now than he was previously in the campaign, both in terms of winning the first and the second balls from set pieces. Um I also think it's very easy in our job to take an outcome and try and apply logic to it post-state. You know, it may just be a case that, as is often the case, they're not getting the, the rub of the green at the moment and um, fixtures, they've had a hard hard run of games, as we mentioned there, especially on the road. So, um, what? No, I was la- laughing at not getting the rub of the green because for some reason in my head, uh, the equalising goal against Northampton sprang to mind last week in which... Jamie Reid did that rather nice turkey twister and then fired a both shot that hit both right. posts and then, yeah, but then spun would that over been, the line. That was a bit, a bit... But if you say that's lucky, it would have been unlucky if it hadn't gone in. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I know. Well, I just, I've never really known what rubber the green means. L- luck, I think, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Who would be your top three in any order now? Stockport and... You're not going to say Orient. They're so, they're so in in your mind. Oh, right. Well, yeah. I mean, I've been saying it for about four months, mate. Northampton tick the intangibles box. They also have a large red flag marked injury crisis. They've also got the points on the board. Carlisle have failed to score in five of their last six games. Difficult to really get on board with that, albeit their fixtures have been quite difficult. Maybe it's... But then Bradford and Salford have got ground to make up. I don't know, George. I don't know. I don't know. I think it will be Stevenage, which is kind of surprising me saying it. But, um, you know, often we do research live on the pod. And just looking now at Northampton, as you said, they've got the injury crisis. Amazing result against Gillingham yesterday, um, especially because of Gillingham's form. But their fixtures are, are just really suboptimal, where they've got two away trips, um, Saturday, Tuesday, in opposite corners of the country, where they go to Carlisle on Saturday. And then they go to one of the best home teams in the division in Sutton on the Tuesday. So two incredibly difficult pivotal games back to back away from home, which is going to which are going to take its toll. You've then got the one game that you'd think on paper looks like it should be fairly easy and winnable at home to Harrogate. But look what Harrogate did at Leighton Orient on Saturday. Harrogate, a team fighting for their lives at the bottom end of League Two. I think from Northampton's point of view, if you're a Cobblers fan, you probably want one of Crawley or Hartlepool to basically go pointless between now and then so that, so that Harrogate have less to play for. And then a, an almighty clash against Bradford on the penultimate game of the season. And Bradford fans listening to this were probably saying, well, hold on, why aren't you, why aren't you talking about us when you're talking about the top three? And completely rightly so. You know, they're a side coming into this in decent nick and in decent form. And there's that could easily be a game where the winner of that could put themselves in, in that top three pick, fixture. And then an away game at Tranmere, last game of the season. And I know that Tranmere aren't great, but it's another difficult away game. It's a really difficult run of games that Northampton have got alongside a lot of injuries. And yes, they may have the points on the board at this moment in time, but with Bradford and Stevenage both having a game in hand on them 
And if they were to win that game in hand, would have superior goal difference to them in terms of Stevenage and and Bradford just two points behind. You know they're they're in second, but the position is absolutely precarious as it stands. And I, and I think if Northampton finish in the top three, given all the the circumstances around their position now, it will be a phenomenal job from John Brady Brady in his side, which it has been all season. Yeah, they showed great resilience on Monday, uh, beating Gillingham, the winning goal, the first goal in senior football from William Hondemark, great friend of the pod. I feel like we're kind of podfathers. We're like podfathers for Will, um, having sponsored him at Barnsley, having uh, having had him share his story on here, me having very randomly kind of fallen in love with him as a player. Uh, in one of his first ever games, in a Harrogate 5, Cambridge 4 game towards the end of, of uh, what would that have been, 2021. It's, it's yeah, it's one of my favourite things that uh, the pod's been a part of and he scored a banging goal to win it for Northampton. He's finally finding a home and a run of games and he's helping them get over what is an injury crisis, both in centre of the park and at centre-back as well, uh, where I think Sowerby played the second half. He's a midfielder who was coming back from his own injury, played at centre-back. They had a Canadian centre-back called Norman who started. They only signed him a couple of weeks ago. His first game over in English football. Uh, It's pretty crazy. Um, And it it, it was much needed after what was a bit of a humbling against Newport. Uh, Just running through some of the other teams. I mean, Carlisle beat Tranmere on Friday. It was a bit of a gimme, really. Tranmere handing them a goal due to some, some shoddy passing out the back. Um, and that was Carlisle's first goal in ages. They, they won that game comfortably, but then it was another blank at Walsall, 10-man uh, Walsall in that one. Bradford with an impressive home win uh, on Monday. Some nice goals scored, Banks and Kirk as well, um, and they've won their last two home games with some impressive performances as well, which is notable because it's their home points return that's been notably worse than the teams around them. So if they can sort out things at Valley Parade for a couple more games, then they could easily punch their way in. Uh, And then Mansfield, who won comfortably on Friday before drawing somewhat frustratingly against uh, Rochdale on Monday. We'll get to that uh, bottom part of the table in just a second. But we have to finish with Salford, George. So Salford lost uh, on Friday. And on Monday, in the 93rd minute, they were losing 2-1 to Wimbledon. They won a penalty and Callum Hendry missed it. And you're thinking, that's back-to-back defeats. That's highly damaging. That's you now, what would it have been? Three points outside of the playoff places. Instead, it would have been two points. Instead, Callum Hendry then scored in the 94th minute. Callum Hendry then scored again in the 95th minute. Salford coming from 2-1 down to win 3-2. It's massive for them. But Wimbledon, in the last 11 games, have lost six games in which they've been ahead. They've drawn two games in which they've been ahead. So eight times in 11, they've been winning and they've not won. In two more of the other three, they've just lost one now without being ahead. They conceded four goals after the 89th minute uh, over the weekend. Salford, the beneficiaries uh, of that. Probably the most dramatic thing that happened, actually, uh, over the 72 games, I'd say. Wimbledon 2, Salford 3. Ridiculous. Ridiculous. I mean, it, just in terms of pure narrative arcs. Yeah, we're going to hear a lot of, um, or read a lot and hear a lot about a certain cycling goalkeeper saving a penalty um, from a Notts County player 
uh, as being the Hollywood script of the weekend. But in my mind, if there's a if there was a TV show or a, a film made about any um, story over the course of the weekend, it would be this. I've, I don't think I've ever seen such a zero to hero. Well, hold on. Are they still doing the doc? Oh Salt yeah, for doc. might see it. Yeah, but I, I'd want to see a dramatization. <laughs> yeah. Who would play Re- uh, Who would play Callum Hendry? Probably James Norton. I think Callum I'd Hendry's say. a bit. He's a bit bigger, isn't he? I'm sure James could could bulk. Just an amazing five minutes. I don't think I've ever seen such an incredible zero to hero moment um, on a football pitch to miss a penalty in the 93rd minute at three. Uh, sorry, at two one down and score twice late on. I also have never seen two celebrations so wildly different. Where for the equalising goal. He doesn't even react. He just walks over to the home fans, goading them. And then for the goal a minute later, whips off his shirt and runs into the corner. Um, I, you know, for for AFC Wimbledon fans, players, for Johnny Jackson to save a penalty in that moment for such an important three points, not in terms of any achievements this season, but just getting over the line at home, having squandered so many points from winning positions to save penalty in the 93rd minute and then to lose the game is just a massive sickener and it is they've got to find a way to get you know I, I guess the only cure for this soft middle is probably the end of the season and just starting afresh next season and hopefully forgetting about this horrible run they're on where they concede so late um, Hendry's taking form at a very good time as I said before I think he is a striker that is destined for, for big things probably at Salford next season no matter what league they're in. And towards the bottom of, of League Two, the relegation battle's absolutely ignited, hasn't it? This time last week, we were talking about Hartlepool and Rochdale, the bottom two at the time, having both won on Saturday. Then they followed it up by both winning on Friday and both teams drew on Monday. So Rochdale and Hartlepool, both kind of winners uh, of the weekend down at the bottom, picking up four points. Hartlepool more significantly, have moved outside of the relegation zone. Crawley are now in it. Crawley picked up just one point from their two games. So Hartlepool now unbeaten in eight, George, with two wins and six draws. That's been enough to lift them out of the relegation zone. And they just look like a completely different team. I mean, in Dan Kemp, they have maybe the most informed player in the whole division, which is always going to help. Kemp on loan from MK Dons. Played a couple of games for MK in August and then didn't start a league game, didn't play a league minute until pitching up at Hartlepool at the end of January. Has nine goals and two assists in 13 games. It's It could be fairy tale stuff, but there there could be more twists in the tale, George. Yeah, there could be. It's, it's a funny one with Kemp, how you got a player who um, played last season for the team who are going to finish as League Two champions, gets a move to MK Dons and suddenly pitches up in January at a team <clears throat> destined for relegation. You kind of wonder how he wasn't um, on other teams' radars in League Two, but what an inspired signing he's been. Um, and yeah, I, th- I think the job that Joanaski is doing is is remarkable. Um, you know, it's more than just a new manager bounce. He's obviously come in, breathed some life and belief into the players and they are a team who now, you know, they haven't drawn a blank um, since they last lost the game, which was back on February the 21st against Newport County away from home. So they're a team who, you know, I think when you're at the bottom end of the of a league and, when, and you're scoring multiple goals consistently in basically every game, that's going to get you out of that, that mess pretty quickly. And it's the teams they've done it against as well. You know, you're looking at picking up in this run of, of this unbeaten run of, what is it, eight games. Um, they have drawn against Stevenage, Leighton Orient, 
Bradford, Northampton. You know, those are four of the teams we were just talking about there in terms of the top three race. So, yeah, unbelievable what they're doing. And um, you know, it felt for a bit like it might be in vain with um, Crawley Town looking um, like they were in a better run of form. But that is a thing of the past now. And Crawley are currently in 23rd position and a point back from Hartlepool. Rochdale, four points. So kind of small winners. It was eight points, the gap to safety. Now it's six points. So they've chipped away at it, but they've only got five games to go. My concern is that they've left it too late. I guess my other concern would be that maybe it's a little Jim McNulty new manager bounce. Having said that, some of the goals they've scored in the last couple of games have been really, really nice. It looked like they've got a, a, a much better attacking threat at the moment, but they need to get above two teams in order to stay up. And that feels difficult to imagine uh, given the form of, of Hartlepool in particular uh, the losers have to be Crawley George that that flash of good form they showed a couple of weeks ago now feels a, a long long way off they're definitely a loser of the weekend down at the bottom dropping into the bottom two and <laughs> given that Cole Yu thrashed crew 4-0 on Monday having drawn on Friday that four points return gives them a bit more breathing room means that they're Clearly, you know, it's been a positive weekend for them. That means Harrogate Town, having picked up only two points, two draws in which they came back from behind against Wimbledon and against Leighton Orient. Like, objectively pretty good results. But it means that their gap to the drop zone was cut by one. So they end up feeling more nervy than they did going in. Yeah, I mean, I think Crawley's form is kind of the important thread here for all of these teams. Where for Harrogate and for um, <clears throat> and for Hartlepool, you know, they are clearly able to 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 get enough points on the board to keep Crawley at bay but the issue is for them that Crawley have possibly the easiest fixtures of any team in in well on paper in League 2 going forward um they host Tranmere and, and Colchester the next two then they have that incredibly important game um where they go to Hartlepool on Saturday the 22nd of April um which could be a, a relegation playoff I mean they've got a Crawley have to ensure they get points from those two home games to, to make sure that they're in a position where if they beat Hartlepool on that game, they can leapfrog them. But then even their last two games of the season, home to a Walsall side who are massively floundering um, towards the end of the season. And then they go to Swindon Town on, on final day. Uh, Scott Lindsay back to his former club. Um, will he get relegated there? Well, Jody Morris has not made a good start to life at Swindon either. So you could argue that Crawley have five games there where you're not looking at one any of them is being like, well, that's a really tough, tough game for them. Uh, and that is a mass, you know, at this stage of the season, you can get so caught up in performances and runs of form. But when you actually look at who, who Crawley have, have lost to, you know, Mansfield and Barrow, they've conceded four against both of those two on the road recently. But Mansfield and Barrow are better sides than anyone else they've got left to play this season. Uh, and they've got a, a nil-nil draw at home to a Bradford side who are in the automatic promotion race. You know, it's, it's not all done. There are going to be loads more twists and turns going from now to the end of the season. There's no denying that. It certainly feels like the, the, the bottom five teams are in better shape and putting together better performances than some of the teams in the uh, the middle chunk of the table. I mean, Swindon and Doncaster both lost both games over the weekend. They've both now lost four games in a row. They're on 51 points. There's no particular jeopardy. There's no particular concern. But these poor ends to the season do change the whole narrative of a campaign and will we'll, we'll head I mean, from what I can gather following Swindon and Doncaster fans, perfectly sensible ones as well, who are not, you know, over the top in their opinions. I think taking the temperature of those two fan bases heading into the summer, it's going to be like 
a mixture of kind of anger, apathy, the, the the real sense of decline, the sense that those clubs aren't being run properly and that the people in charge aren't doing the right things. It's I find it really interesting, George. There's there's such a miserable group of teams between like eleventh and seventeenth that are all giving off like broadly terrible vibes, all while being entirely mid table with no chance of relegation, having had middling seasons no worse than that so in even Tramere in 11th Swindon in 12th Walsall in 13th stinking at the moment Grimsby probably the exception to the rule good first season back in league two could have been better probably in terms of league position but they've had some incredible uh, days along the way including that late winner at Donna yesterday then Doncaster miserable then crew Alex mostly miserable for most of the campaign apart from a lovely day out on good friday in the sun singing lee bell's red and white army before losing 4-0 on monday to call you and then wimbledon in 17th where the vibe is absolutely miserable as well it's it's just it's quite a weird part of the league table i guess is what i'm saying yeah i mean it, it's not really where any team wants to be i guess is bottom half league two is it so um unless unless yeah. your team have recently been promoted out of the national league and it, in this day and age it's not very aspirational and in this day and age teams who get promoted out of the National League have aspirations of immediately going up again because generally they have a top half budget anyway so yeah it's not the great not the best place to be I wouldn't say and I think it feels like League 2 more than any other league if you take the temperature of the fans pre-season um, you've got about 20 to 24 thinking that they're playoff chases finally pains me to say this not sure if anyone's been keeping an eye on Sutton yeah, but they lost both games over the Take weekend. Off, uh, home to Stockport, away to Bradford. Uh, they're six without a win now, uh, and that run of form has basically ended their hopes of a, of a playoff push. Uh, I think, like last season, they will finish outside the playoffs, looking upwards longingly, but having just missed out. And I think, in the fullness of time, we can look back on that having been a, another great season for Sutton United in League Two. But it may not feel like that uh, right now. Disappointing weekend for them. Well then. I hope that that made some sense to you, the listener. George, you were magnificent. I am heavy on caffeine and low on sleep. But God, I enjoyed that weekend. Always fun Easter weekend in the EFL. Um, we had to break the mould a little bit in how we covered it. Um, but hopefully we sort of took the best route to, to catching you guys up. Um, thank you so much for listening to the pod. There's only a few weeks of the regular season to go. So make sure that you're with us every step of the way on the NTT20 podcast. We'll be back with a betting show on Thursday. We'd love it if you signed up to our newsletter, ntt20.substack.com. Stick your email address in and get some goodness delivered into your inbox uh, many times a week. And a big thank you to our sponsors, Bet fair for their continued support of this podcast uh, we'll chat to you again in well about 48 hours go well